So beloved, if you have your Bible with you there this morning, please turn with me to the, the epistle of 1 Peter chapter 5. Today I'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse 7. We'll look at it together. Let me read it to you. You can follow along in your own Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 7. Okay? Let me read it to you. Follow along in your own Bibles there. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because... God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Amen. So again, this is an odd sermon. It's a sermon to Joel. But also it's a sermon to the congregation. It is the words of one elder to another elder. Uh, I was going to say one guy ending his journey, but hope not. Please, Lord, no, not yet. And one man beginning his journey. We know that this was Peter, the apostle Peter. Cephas, you know, the, him who was called Simon, who Jesus changed his name rocky to you and me and it is thought that at the time of the writing of this letter and Peter didn't write this letter he he dictated it it was copied down by someone else maybe John Mark or someone else uh, Peter was probably illiterate could not read or write all his life but served all his life as a faithful elder to the flock of God just shows you, you don't have to be book smart to be able to serve God and here in his, it's thought that he's writing here in the, 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 uh, the evening of his life when he's a little bit older. So it's not the Peter of Acts. It's not the Peter of just after Acts. This is Peter in the twilight of his life as an older man just before he's martyred in Rome. And so he's writing, and he's writing to these people, to those who are reading the apostle, epistle, he's writing to them, they are suffering, it is a time of great persecution. The Christians are undergoing terrible persecution. And in the first four chapters, which I will not go through, he is encouraging them, he is exhorting them to stand fast in the midst of their persecution. And he is uh, explaining to them why these things must happen. And then in chapter 5, he goes and, and one of the commentaries puts in the, the word therefore or leaksum or like, likewise. Because of these things, therefore, 
behave this way. And begins in chapter 5 saying, I exhort you. And it is that word parakleos, in, I think it's in, in, in Greek. It's the, the word that means, uh, I strongly urge you. And for all of us who go to the gym and are muscly, we understand that whenever you're working out in the gym, you've heard me use this illustration before, you have someone there who's able to come along and say, go on, push one more, push two more. You all know, all those who have done any sort of exercise, how difficult it is to do exercise by yourself and how much easier it is when you have a partner with, because you don't want to look weak in front of somebody else. You don't want to look, you know, girly or whatever. And my wife says no. But if you had a partner, you'd do much better. And it's that urging. It's the urging of one soul to another. He is strongly urging. The Greek is paraphrased in saying this, comes alongside you and supports you. Come on, come on, come on. It's the idea of a marathon runner. Do you remember, have you ever seen marathons? Some of us have watched marathons on TV. I am that boring. And you'll see these people at the side of the road with little cups of orange juice. And they run alongside and they hand the orange juice and say, keep going, keep going. It's only another 30 miles. I know how long a marathon is. <laughs> but uh, it's only, uh, you, you can do it, you can do it. And it's the idea, that's what... Peter is doing, he's coming alongside and he's strongly urging. He's saying, keep going. The end is in sight. You have the energy, the power. And it's the Holy Spirit through Peter to the church of his day, down through the ages to us today, to Joel today. And the Holy Spirit is strongly urging you, coming alongside and giving support. And this word is specifically for the elders the elders among us. Now it doesn't just mean the elderly people. We all kind of gather that, don't we? It's not just for you old people. Sorry, not you. You old people, me. Uh, keep going. I, uh, but rather he, he explains it as a fellow elder. As one who is chosen by the church for a certain role. One who is elected by the Holy Spirit, raised up by Christ himself, who is a gift to the church, a, 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 a demonstration of Christ's love to us. And here Peter is saying, as one who knows what it's like, one who is a fellow elder, and then he adds just a little bit more like that. It's not just an older guy speaking to younger guys, but he says that there's a qualification that I have that you don't have. That I witnessed the suffering of Christ. That he saw the reality of it. He's reminding them, yes, you're going through sufferings. But so did our Savior. And as one who saw that suffering, one who saw the, 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 the torture and the death, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to you with a little bit of authority. With a little bit of insight in how things really are. Not just by my own, but with Christ's authority. And then he goes on as well as one who's about to share in the glory that is to be revealed. Reminding that, that though things are difficult now in their context and, and for our context, uh, things may look as if they're getting darker and darker. The world is becoming more and more anti-Christ, anti-Christian. 
But we know that there is a glory to be revealed. We know that we are not working towards the, the restoration, restoration of humanity, but rather to Christ shall return. He's coming in great glory to seize us, to capture us, to take us home, to enforce His will upon the world. And that glory will come. And He's reminding them of that. And we as, as elders, we need to be reminded of that. For, for, for far too often, we can feel as if all our work is just simply going nowhere. It's so often you can feel that all your best efforts are coming to nothing. And I have said this often, that sometimes it feels like the world, the, our world, our work is held together by spider webs and spit. You ever seen two pieces of wood that have been held together by spider webs, you know? And they look as if they're attached, but you can just pull them apart. You ever seen two pieces of paper as a child? Two pieces of... How am I going to put... You stick two pieces of paper together or... You ever played that game? We played it when I was little. You spin a piece of paper, you stick it to your head and pretend you... Something. Anyway. Oftentimes as Christians, we can think that our work is, is... Or as elders, our work is worthless and that it has no point. So often we face disappointments... And we can become disillusioned. But here the apostle reminds us that there is a day coming. That our eyes as elders are not for today or tomorrow or next week or next month. Or even for 10 years. That our blicked, our eyes, our gaze must be centered upon the day that is coming. With the knowledge that we will share in that reward. He will give us the resurrection. Not the crying and feeding, that's later on. But rather the the new life. The resurrection life. We will be a part of that. And here he comes now with his command. His command is, shepherd God's flock among you. Shepherd God's flock. That's a, a really powerful statement. And, uh, you know, the, the word there is where we get the word pastor from. Pastor, God's flock. But, and we always think that we know what it means, but the Bible explains the Bible. And if we were to go and, and look at what does the Bible mean when, when it's talking about shepherding. Jesus called himself the true shepherd, the real shepherd. John 10 and we can read John 10, 1 to 14. I had it marked and then I took the mark out of my Bible. Oh dear. Let me read this. This is the example of the good shepherd. He who is Christ, but also we who are his under shepherds. As it was with Christ, so we are then also to embody these aspects. Of course, there are some that are holy and... Um, about Jesus, but then there are others that we can embody ourselves. So let me read it to you. Jesus speaking to his disciples, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens up for him. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them all out, all his own outside. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. And then Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come, who all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. And the wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And we leave it there. We see that, that Jesus Christ embodies that and that he, there's a, this embodies what it means to be a shepherd. He identifies with the picture of being a shepherd. And Peter says to the elders that they are to shepherd. Do you remember when Jesus met up with Peter after the crucifixion and they had breakfast together? Do you remember? And uh, Jesus and Peter went for a little walk. It was the restoration of Peter after Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus took him to the side. He was walking off and John was falling on behind. And, and as they're talking, Jesus looks and says, Do you love me, Peter? And Peter like, Lord, do you know? Huh? And Jesus says, you know, um, feed my sheep. Lead my sheep. Tend my lambs. Well, there in that, one of the, the words he uses there is this shepherd. Uh, to care for. To absolute tend is a good word. Tend my flock. Take care of my lambs. And this is so obviously something that really imparted on Peter's mind. That he was granted the responsibility of tending, looking after God's flock. So the idea here is that they're not yours. The idea here is that you're not to buy and sell them, but you're to tend them. And when I was in Romania many years ago, um, we were driving through the mountains of Transylvania. You'll see them this year. They're great. They're huge big mountains full of snow. We were driving through, and we, as we were driving, we had the windows down, and we heard this clanging sound. Cling, 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 cling. And we drove around the mountain, and, and uh, coming down the side of the mountain was uh, a bunch of young boys and some young girls. And the, the young boy who was walking around must have been about 13 or something. It's hard to tell. I'm not good at that age game. But he was very young. And he had a staff with a bell on the top of it. Like a koi bell. You know, all these big bells. Cling, cling. And he walked. And behind him there was countless sheep. Like literally the whole mountainside was just covered in sheep. And as he walked down the mountain or bounced down the mountain. He kind of hopped like this. The sheep followed him. And the road passed through the, the, like the, the, the mountainside. So the road cut through this, this valley-type mountainside. And we were driving up, and as he saw the car coming, he stopped. And all the sheep stopped. I couldn't get my kids to do that. He stopped, and all the sheep stopped along the road. And one or two may have bounced out, and then was, you know, jumped back into line. But he stopped, 
And I remember the young man who's, I can't remember the young man's name. And, and I said, that's, a, that's, that's an example of what it means to be a shepherd. And he said, where do you see this? And he waved the young boy along. And the boy took one step and all the sheep moved. And they all crossed the road. He stood in the middle of the road and all the sheep crossed the path. And the other shepherd's boys went ahead. And as soon as he was satisfied that all the sheep had passed, he stepped off the road and we were able to drive along. And in my, my, in my preacher's mind, that was a great illustration of what it meant to be a, a pastor. One who tends the flock, that the sheep follow him. He didn't have to go along and beat them with a stick. He didn't have to prod them with the end of it. But rather that he just he had the bell and he, he, he made some sort of, uh, would say some sort of word or, or expression. It was Romanian, I don't know. And that the sheep would, would gravitate to him. They would follow him. They knew the instruction. And he had earned their trust by being with them. He had earned their trust by being there when they were born, being there when they had troubles, rescuing them from the circumstances. And we use the expression, it's not our expression, it's, I think it's Alexander Struck. He said, shepherds smell like sheep. They identify because he's with them all the time. And a, a pastor, an elder of a congregation must be like his people. They must be able to identify. He can't be above them. Can't be below them. He has to be one of them. And a shepherd is one of the sheep. They see him as the alpha sheep, but not out of fear. Right? No, he doesn't go and headbutt the other sheep or anything like this. But he has won their confidence. And we see that in, in the John 10. There is this, my sheep know my voice. And they follow him. Follow Christ. And in the same way, the congregation hears the voice of Christ through the elder. They recognize and hear the, the intimate connection between the elder and Christ. And they give their trust. An elder is not someone who is supposed to go and chase the sheep or harass them or emotionally blackmail them into doing things. As you lead, they must follow. And as you walk in Christ's ways and keep His requirements, they will follow Scripture will fulfill itself. Beloved, you're commanded to shepherd God's flock. Care for them through the preaching of the word, through the teaching of the word, but also for, by the demonstration of that as well. Let me go back. I keep taking the, the paper, piece of paper out of my Bible that has the, where I'm supposed to be preaching from. Never do that. That's a bad habit. It says here, overseeing, not out of compulsion, but willingly. And the idea there is, uh, there will come times when you don't want to do this job. It gets hard. But that's not what it's talking about. Uh, the idea here is that it's more a job than a, than a calling. The idea is that you're doing it not because you're, you get a 9 to 5 paycheck, but you do it because it is the calling on your life. It is the, 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 the very... Heart of who you are. You are a shepherd. You know, people ask me, so what do you do? I say, I'm, oh, I'm a dad. That's what I do. I dad everybody in my life. I can't help that. If you're in my life, I daddy you. I, I try not to, but I do. You know, I, maybe a curling for elder and whatever. But it's, there is something inside us that as elders that you're commanded, you're compelled 
you're pushed forward to lay down your life for the sheep. Not a hireling that when things get difficult or a better opportunity comes, you exit as quickly as you can. But rather one who sticks and stays firm in good times and in bad times is constant. And is doing it not because it's an opportunity, not because they receive personal gratitude, you know, that they makes them feel good, makes them feel important. But rather it's because it is the compulsion. God has given me this task. The Savior who saved me, he, he who loves me, has given me this responsibility. I do not want to let him down. And therefore you continue in the way. Tend God's flock. Love them. Take care of them. Pray for them. Preach to them. Again, not out of a, out of a, 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 a sense of, of if I do this, I can get a better job. Or not because you, know, you want any personal recognition, but rather because it is the compulsion that God has put upon your heart and you do it willingly. And it says, as God would have you do. God wants you to serve him with all of your heart. God wants you to give your everything and a little bit more. And to do it willingly. I always think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And those three guys who got thrown into the... the they did it willingly. I don't think... They, they bound them and everything and they threw them in. But I think if they had unbound them, those three fellas would have stepped into that, that furnace. Not because they were suicidal, but because they were so committed to their God that they would rather face death than give in to apostasy. And we who are elders must be of like minded. There must be a compulsion that you will not give up, nor will you give in. You will stick, stay the course. It says here, not out of greed for money. I like where it says in the old Bible, for filthy looker. You know, like, oh, it's not just about money. Uh, it is very easy when you are, are a pastor what, in a religious setting to become wealthy. It is. It's easy to manipulate people. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't be. The wolves wouldn't move towards it. It's very easy. I have seen it in my own life. It was, when we were in Bible college many, many years ago, many years ago, um, we had a friend who once confided in me that he had so much financial support that he didn't know what to do with it all. With it all. And he would go to one church and tell us his story. Oh, I'm going off to... And they would say, well, let us financially support you, brother. And he would, thank you very much. And then he would go to the next church and he would sell the story. And he actually became richer as a missionary than he was in the normal life, you know. And he said he just didn't let everybody know. And I was shocked and said, this is not right. And then he kind of never told me about it again. It, it would be easy for a man to make this a, a, an opportunity to make a fortune. But to do so, money must become the focus of your ministry. Finance must become the focus of your ministry and not the good of God's people. Serving yourself becomes the forefront of your ministry, not serving God's people. And you can dress that up. You can dress it up. But when the, 
the the um, collection becomes more of a focal point of of the good chance than the preaching of the word. You know you've strayed into something. When money becomes the first thought that's in your head, how can I benefit benefit from this? We are commanded as shepherds, as elders, as pastors of God's flock, not be men who are motivated by money. Indeed, Jesus warns us in the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount that we cannot serve both money and God. That we'll hate one and love the other. So as elders, you must guard your heart. You must make it a focus, a, an active <coughs> Part of your ministry to avoid that because the temptation comes, the, tempt, the, the opportunity. How many times have you heard me tell you that people have tried to throw buckets of money at me? That we've had a, a, a beloved brother whom we all love and I, I am grateful and, and adore this man offered me three million dollars for the ministry. But that with that, you're in their pocket for the rest of your life. You have to dance to their tune. What could we do with three million? I could do lots. I build my house, whatever. You know, it's all part of the ministry. And that, that's, that's very generous of them. But we have to avoid that. My ministry isn't about, our ministry isn't about personal wealth. It's about taking care of God's people. So beloved, guard your heart. Your service is not allowed to be out of greed, but willingly eagerly. It says you're not lording over those who are entrusted to you. Jesus said that those who, must, who would be first among us must be last, would be the slave of everybody else. That in Christ the pattern of leadership isn't to be one who is like the CEO of a business where everybody serves us. I speak, you do. But rather that you see a need within the congregation and you meet that need. And the perfect example of this, of a servant heart, is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. I've been studying that a lot this, this last few weeks, almost a month now. It is so touching that Christ, in preparation for that last day, takes his disciples and does something so humiliating to them. You know, we would think... Eh, we have been taught to think that was a beautiful, wonderful, tr- tremendous gift that Jesus did for them. That he, oh, how caring and tender. But it wasn't, it was humiliating to them. It was a slap in their face. It was a spit in their eye. He belittled them by doing that act. And that's why Peter says, Lord, Lord, no, don't wash my feet. And, and Jesus says, oh, if I don't do this, you've no part with me. And then Peter says, well, Lord, not just my feet, everything, everything. Because Peter was all, all in man. And Jesus said, there's only that which is dirty needs cleaned. You know? and Peter was trying to make much of it. Jesus humbled them. And to be a servant of the congregation, not a servant, but a slave of the congregation, we must walk in humility. Again, not lording, not behaving like the people of this world. Uh, I, I had this idea once for a conference theme, you know, that someone uh, asked me to come to a leadership conference, Christian leadership conference, and speak at it. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. I'm just, that's not who I am. It's not what I do. And, 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 and I said, why are you having a leadership conference and not a servanthood conference? And he was like, no one would come to it. 
That's a good point. Good point. But in the church of God, we are to be servants. Our leaders are to be our, again, the word isn't servant. It's a bad translation. Slave. We are to be the slaves of the congregation. And we are to be it willingly. And then it says here, but being an, exa- an example to the flock. And that is the greatest challenge. Not just an exa- example of strength. Our human nature loves strong men, don't we? We want the Tarzan type. We want the, the Bollywood figure. My, or my Indian brother and sister. You know the Bollywood figure, the beautiful beard like Nathaniel, big chesty people, those very strong men. The Arnold Schwarzenegger's kind of people. In our flesh, we want that kind of man. But Christ rejects that image. The Christian leaders are not to be that way. We're not to look for the, the Sauls, but rather for the Davids. David, I don't think, was a, an impressive man in that sense. People kind of looked at him and went, oh, really? But it was his faith in God. And our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that if we were to look at him, there was nothing attractive, visibly attractive about him. He wasn't a kind of man that we would look to and go, wow, but he's a CEO of some business. Look how sharp he's dressed. Think of the things that he says. When Jesus spoke, people went, you can see the question mark go up in there. What? Because he spoke in parables. And parables are a way of hiding the truth from those who weren't able to understand. So Jesus said all these complicated and strange things. Indeed, after the portion that I read you in John 10, people are left standing there going, he's obviously possessed by a demon. He's obviously mad. He's out of his mind. Now, I'm not saying Joel behave mad or be out of your mind or whatever else. But certainly, we are not supposed to function and, and behave as the way the world would want us to. Be the, the, the bright, shining, visible, strong leader. We are to be the servants of the congregation, the slaves of the congregation. We are to bring Christ's love and to be there in situations when no one else would. To go the extra mile. And to do it all willingly. And this is what God has called you to do. And then he says why. When, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. For faithfully doing your ministry, faithfully giving yourself full time to this work, and pouring out your heart, your mind, your soul for the congregation, you will receive your reward in heaven. You will one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Those words that we long and live for. And then he goes on. And this is where he changes his message. Peter, the Holy Spirit through Peter to the church, down through the ages to us today. It says, and you who are younger. Now in popular thinking, this is younger men. But really it's about to all you who are not elders. Okay, I'm spoken to the elder. Spoken to those who are called to be elders. You know what you're supposed to do. Now I'm speaking to those who are not elders among you. To the younger Elders, younger, younger as anyone, man, woman, anyone in the congregation. So you just don't turn off, you think, well, it's to younger men. No, beloved. It's to all those who are not elders. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That word subject means to be obedient, to put yourself under. It means not to strive against, not to struggle 
but to be submissive. Submit to. And then goes on. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So now he's again elders and non-elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. The idea of clothing yourself is, have you ever baked? You know, I don't bake. I really don't bake. But I have made occasionally uh, <laughs> pizza dough when Sarah tells me to or forces me to. Um, and you put on one of those uh, aprons or when you're cutting the Christmas ham or whatever else. You put on an apron. You know what I'm talking about? And you tie the apron. Some of you can tie it at the front. Others us have to tie it in the back. Slightly different in girth. Um, the idea there is when he says clothe yourself is to tie Upon yourself a garment. Like, like when Jesus took the towel and tied it around his waist. He stripped off and tied the towel around them. That event really burned into the mind of Peter what it meant to be a leader and a servant. And so we're told here that we are to forcibly, to actively clothe ourselves in humility. You say, well, I'm not really a humble kind of guy. You know, you know I don't really, I, or you can say, well, I, I am a real humble kind of guy. Pfft. We are to actively participate, to actively take the, the, the submissive role. We're not to force back or fight back. We're not to struggle or strain or bite or nip or criticize. Or, but rather that we are to work together to try and outdo one another in our humility. Not just that the elder is to be the, the most humblest of us all, but rather that as uh, that we in the congregation are humble. Now I read this week that humility in the first century was deemed a a vice. It wasn't esteemed as a character that you know, oh, he's such a humble guy, it's such a good thing. It was sought as a weakness. If you called a person a humble person, you're basically calling them a slave or a weakling. Uh, uh, something that was to be pitied and despised. Not something that we would esteem to be uh, copy, you know, that you could copy it. That you would live, want to live in that way. And so Peter talking to these people, he's telling them to behave in such a way as uh, the world at that time despised. He's telling them to behave like a slave in a time when slaves existed. Now I know slavery exists today, but in our culture we don't have slavery. People who own other people or owned by other people. But he's telling his readers, hearers, those who, and not just them in their context and their day, but all of us down throughout the ages through the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we are to behave like slaves, to have the attitude of slaves. That should nip at your flesh. That should, that should bite at you. So, <coughs> elders, yes, to be humble. Congregation, non-elders, to act in a way that is submissive, to accept the authority of the elders. Not that, that again, that's the idea of them ruling over like lordlings or princelings, but rather that... The, they're there to protect you. Do you remember those sheep that I talked about at the beginning? 
when that boy stopped at the road and all the sheep, like, I mean, it was amazing. All the sheep stopped at the edge of the road. Those sheep accepted immediately and they submitted to that boy's knowledge. This is a road with stop. And he stopped. Imagine if we were driving along, however fast that boy was driving the bus we were in. And, uh, and the shepherd stops as we're driving along and the sheep just cross the road. Think how many kebabs there would have been after that. You know, they just plowed into all those sheep and killed them. But because the sheep recognized the authority, the wisdom of the shepherd, when he stopped, they stopped, not shopped, stopped. And therefore, they were all saved from being, being road pizza, from us running them down. In the same sense, that's why we submit to the, the leadership in the church. They may know things that we don't. They may have the experience that we don't. They may have spiritual insight and leading by God that we don't. And therefore we recognize and willingly submit and are humble. Not just that we are humble towards the elders, but rather the elders are humble to us. And there is this constant pattern of we're reflecting the glory of God. And why do we do this? The he tells us, God resists the pride but gives grace to the humble. God actively resists the pride. The non-humble. God actively is against you. Even, and this is believers. This is not unbelievers. So you have a, a prideful heart. Well, you can tell other people, but you can't tell me. Well, you, you might think that, but I don't. And whatever. That attitude of, of pride... I know better than you do. I'm right and you're wrong. That back and forth thing. And the idea here is that God resists. The idea of an arm wrestle. You ever been an arm wrestle? Us, us guys, of course, we all arm wrestled. Maybe some of you girls, I don't know. But it's the idea of resistance. So when you're trying to push the arm down, and it's the idea that God, as you're trying to do whatever you're doing, God's going to resist you. God's going to push back. He's going to say no. God resists the pride. And that's why we must clothe ourselves in humility. That's why you who are non-elders must submit to the elders. That is why the elders must function as a slave, as a servant, as the caretaker, as the shepherd of God's flock. Because God resists those who resist him. But he gives grace, blessing. He abundantly pours out that blessing. I love the word grace. It's a grace. It means uh, something given in an act, by an act of kindness. Undeserved goodness. God giving you something you don't deserve. Something that is given willingly. You don't earn it. Well, Lord, I've been a good day today. I think I should get my blessing. Bless my Lord. Don't know why I put my American voice on there, but yeah. Um, so beloved, as a congregation, clothe yourselves in humility. Guard your mind, guard your mouth, guard your heart in public and in private. Don't go home and snip, 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 snip. God hears. God sees. Don't go away with a jealous heart or a heart that's been put out. Don't think of yourself as a judge, someone who's 
knows better than everybody else and their word is law and everyone should do what you say otherwise or be held to pay. No, beloved, clothe yourselves in humility. Because the Bible says in, in Hebrews 13 verse 5, I think it is, that uh, by submitting to the elders or those who rule over you, you make their task a sweet one. It makes it easier for them, for those who must give an account of your souls. Why would you want it to be a grievance to them? Why would you want to make their job any harder than it is? And it's a hard job. It's a hard responsibility. It's a hard lifestyle. Beloved. So again, in conclusion, he tells us, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourselves. Walk in humility. Do you know what, what I have found in my small life together with Christ? That if you refuse to humble yourself, God will humble you. He will bring you down. He will pull the earth from under your feet and teach you what it means to be lowly and reveal to you your real place in this world. Beloved, humble yourselves. Walk in the way of humility. As a congregation, both elders and non-elders, all of us, let us take the humble path. And let us do it under the mighty hand of God that he might raise us up. You know, the world thinks that you have to put on fancy clothes and have a big CV and look really good looking, with nice hair and be bright and shiny, have, you know, bling and all the rest and, and have this aura of power in order to succeed today. I watch a podcast um, by a guy called uh, Patrick Ben David, or Bet David his name is. Um, and he's the CEO of this big insurance company. He's a billionaire. He's such a good guy. Uh, he's an Iranian Christian. And uh, great insights into business. He's a super, super positive and powerful guy. But he... he has the whole aura of I'm a rich man. You know, he has the kind of gold chain, hairy chest, you know, open shirt. Um, I'm the boss of the room. And in business, that's fantastic. And in the world, that's fantastic. But even he recognizes that in the church, it cannot be that way. I heard him talk to one of the, the, they have a pastor on staff. And he was talking about when his kids go to church and they talk about the, their, their, to their pastor. And he says, but I wouldn't want a CEO in the pulpit. I wouldn't want a man who's, who sees us as a commodity, but rather cares for our soul. And so we reject the world's pressure to conform and to be that bright, shining, successful image. And rather we clothe ourselves in humility and we emulate the shepherd of our soul and we lay down our lives we don't we're not the ones who walk on others to achieve success but rather we're the ones who lay down our lives so that others may succeed humble yourselves that in due time that God might raise you up and then it finally it says casting all your cares on him because he cares for you this is really important for both elders and for church members, realizing and knowing that God does care for you. An elder life can be a very lonely life, even in, in, when you're working together with others. 
oftentimes, you know, it's, it's everybody's watching, everybody's, you know, one mistake and everything falls apart and all the rest of the nonsense. It's very important to remember that God cares for you deeply. And that's not just the word that he feels, that he feels some sort of emotion towards you. I care for you. You know, like the Americans when they say, I love you. You ever seen the Americans? Ah, not you. You're different. And, um, but they're, you know, they're, when I went to the States and everyone would say, I love you. You know, and I'd be like, do you really? That's amazing. I don't even know you yet. Or they say, uh, and they ask you about your day and I would say, it's been okay so far. And I'd stop them and they would look all shocked. Because you know, have the, the, it's part of their, 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 that culture. We're, we're not to be like that. We're to be, God in his care for us actively cares as a parent does their child. You provide for them. As a parent, we make their food. We shop for groceries, get their glasses fixed. All the things our kids are not aware of that we do. We spend hundreds of euros getting their stuff, you know, and teaching them to drive and all this stuff. All the stuff that we do as parents that our kids are not aware of because we care for them. And if we, we haven't kids, you've been cared for and you'd understand and know certainly what your parents have done for you. God cares for us and therefore we take courage and we put all, give all our burdens, all of our anxieties, all of our stresses and strains we give to the Lord because we know that he cares for us and that he will undertake for us and keep us. My beloved, the text goes on, but my time has run out. So we leave it there. In finishing, let me say once again, Joel, let your time as an elder, God willing, the rest of your life as you serve here or wherever the Lord should take you on your journey, be one where that you are putting Christ first by putting his flock first, where your heart is invested in caring for God's people through faithful preaching and teaching, but also by being an example to the flock in your prayer life, in your mentorship to the people in around us, through your humility. Walk in such a way as to be worthy of the calling that you've been called to. And the congregation, you people who are here, who are non-elders, who are under the care of Joel, don't take advantage of it. Try your best not to make it a hardship. Now, I'm not saying don't share your problems. That's what he's there for. Take advantage of that. Yeah. But without grumbling. Think of Egypt, not Egypt, Israel as they came out of Egypt. And Moses, God through Moses had delivered them and they were on their way to the promised land and everything was great and grand and fantastic and God provided for them time and time again. He was there, split the sea and and all they did was like, oh, I want to go back. I miss my, or- my leeks, my onions, I, my cucumbers in my garden. Yeah, we were under slavery, but I had a garden and vegetables. And I can make chutney and whatever else they made, I don't know. And they just grumbled and they moaned and they complained and they made Moses' life a misery because of their ungrateful hearts and their lack of faith. Congregation... Submit to your elders. Clothe yourselves in humility. For by doing so you bring glory to God. And allow God God to bless you. To care for you. How will he do that? Primarily through the care of the elder. The, The elder primarily is the outreached 
hand of God, the heart of God laid bare before you. Amen. Let's finish in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask, O God, that you would help us to hear these words, Lord, that there would be truth and life and health and peace, Lord, that as Job begins his now life as an elder, Lord, and entering into this whole new situation with whole new pressures and stresses and responsibilities, the Lord, he will remember that he's not there alone, but he is primarily there with you and that you will raise up, Lord, other men to come and support him and strengthen them. Bless him and his wife, Lord, their, their life together. Shelter them. Let the umbrella of your protection be over them. Protect his head and his heart, Lord. Mind his walk. Oh God, that he might always have you before him. Father, protect them from false humility, the feelings of unworthiness, the feelings of, of not being able to, to measure up to that standard. Father, that yantilag, that, that voice of the devil that would uh, unclog, accuse and criticize and gossip. Father, we pray, guard his heart. Help him to be able to distinguish the truth and to walk in the light of it, regardless of the accusations of his heart or of Satan. Father, we pray that you would help him. Pray, O oh God, for the congregation. Lord, for we who are, those who are not elders. Lord, that you would help them to walk in a way that is worthy of you. That, Lord, they would be submitted in their hearts. That they wouldn't stand out as rebels. They wouldn't be those who are pushing back against you. They wouldn't be those, Lord, who are biting and nibbling and cutting corners. But Lord, that they might walk worthy of you. That Lord, they might clothe themselves in humility. That Lord, they might receive willingly the blessing that you have given them through the gift of an elder. Father, we pray this, that you might be glorified, that you might be exalted. That Lord, on that day when you return, that we might all be lifted up, caught up into the air. And the Lord, we might all hear together, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we ask this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.